Thank you for joining us for the third in a series of podcasts presented by Smack Gallery, featuring our artists in conversation with writers, collectors, curators, and peers. In this episode, Nkhopoleng Malloy speaks to Usha Sijerim about her interest in labor and gender in her art making, as well as the dynamics of her social practice. Awesome. Um, well, firstly, welcome. Um, I'm so excited to be sitting down with you, Usha, uh, for this conversation today. Um, before I let you say anything, I'll just <laughs> introduce you briefly, just so that our listeners know um, who we're talking to. Uh, so firstly, my name is Nkhopuleng Muloi. I primarily work as an art writer. Um, I'm interested in art history, but also particularly very interested in um, issues of mobility and how women move um, and mobility in a really broad sense, not just kind of movement, but also how women navigate different spaces. And so this conversation is also really interesting to me because Usha, your work does actually touch a little bit around um, kind of navigating space as, as a female. Um, so Usha, you were born in um, Mpumalanga, if I'm not mistaken, um, here in South Africa, uh, went on to study at the University of Johannesburg in 1999, and then later obtaining your master's degree at VETS um, in 2008. Um, your work spans quite a lot of different mediums, um, so quite a lot of site-specific work as well, but also engage in different materials and materiality throughout your career. And I, I think that we can maybe touch on that a little bit more as we talk. Um, Usha, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine. Well, hello, Nkhapaleng. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the Sorry for like going on and on before letting you say hello properly. No, that's fine. Hi. Yeah. Um, so where are you right now? Maybe you could just give people a sense of where you are, um, like locality and um, kind of what's around you. <laughs> sure. So I'm based in Johannesburg in South Africa. Um, right now I'm at home with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my day, I spend a lot of time at my studio, which is in the south part of Johannesburg, where mm-hmm. most of the production kind of happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, right now where I am in the world, I suppose, is a different, play, uh, different situation altogether. I think we all are in a place of vulnerability and uncertainty and uh, mm-hmm. not quite sure where the world is going and where we're going within the world. Uh, I think everybody's uh, reassessing a lot. I I definitely am in terms of who I am and who I am as an artist and uh, what kind of mark do I want to make in this world. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's been a huge time of introspection. And yeah. I think there's a lot of shifts happening in my work and in myself personally. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and I'm learning to uh, become aware of the big questions that I'm asking and um, and embracing a, a state of not knowing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, are you finding that um, you're able to work during these difficult times? Because I think there's so much pressure to remain productive um, and at the same time you kind of 
trying to grapple with what productivity looks like because everything has shifted so much. Um, so how, how have you kind of been working? It's been very challenging for me because I think I'm so used to a routine mm. that uh, gave me physical time at the studio. In the early uh, lockdown stages where we were not able to move out of our homes, that was particularly challenging. And even though I can make space to work at home and I've made smaller drawings and so on, in the absence of my workspace and my tools, mm. um, I found it quite difficult to be productive. Mm. Um, also, um, I've been at home with my family and the demands of just the, the domestic uh, <laughs> being a mother and a housewife. And, uh, you know, I don't think I've ever baked so much in my life. <laughs> it's super trendy right now also. <laughs> and uh, um, so, like, just the, the, um, the routine changed mm-hmm. so much. So just finding time within that and finding what I particularly struggled with is finding focus time Mm -hmm. that I realize what I've taken for granted is the ability to get into an intensive um, kind of mind space of working. Mm -hmm. And that's what I struggled to do during the the lockdown. But having said that, I did find myself doing extensive reading, extensive research, Mm. uh, a lot and lot of thinking. And so if I had been in my my, uh, natural rhythm or the the rhythm pre-virus, I wouldn't have had this time to really um, go inside. Mm. Uh, And I've been reading extensively. researching extensively <laughs> so, it's, so it's been a different kind of production it's not production of just making 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 it's been a different kind of uh, investment into uh, into who I am as an artist mm. I mean I love that you bring you bring that point across because one of the things I'm thinking a lot about is um, this question of labor, what we consider labor and what we don't. Um, A lot of the times we, I mean, a lot of people do kind of think of art as labor, but they also think of it um, in very different ways to like caring for your children, for example, or making a meal or taking care of a family. Um, And I think this also, even outside of the conversation of the virus, this is kind of a theme that I feel like one can kind of draw out in some of your work. Um, And I'd be quite interested to kind of hear how you think about this question of labor. And then on top of that, adding the notions of kind of gendering that labor, right? So firstly, it's like, what is labor? What is not labor? And then on top of that, this kind of gendered um, layer. Mm. I mean, I'm so aware of that uh, mm-hmm. in my work. And um, it stems from um, the how women are defined and how women are defined within a domestic mm-hmm. context. Uh, and it it doesn't really matter where you come from in the world or what position you hold in your career. Like the 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 domestic um, tag or the domestic label of woman is so prevalent within this, uh, and and that 
uh, that labor is highly genderized mm -hmm. and 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 it's i suppose my gripe with it <laughs> is that it's um it's different from the labels of male labor in that it's not maybe acknowledged enough it's not valued uh and and so i think that's where the 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 um, obsession mm. uh with labor comes from in my work mm. and for me it's not so much about like people have asked me at kabaks and so on like do you hate ironing or do you <laughs> <laughs> yes you can talk about ironing <laughs> do you love ironing so much <laughs> and it's not so much about the uh, whether you like it or not it's not an attachment to that process mm -hmm. but i think for me it's about finding a, a, a sense of identity within uh, within this role mm -hmm. and even uh i suppose uh, agency or power or, or, or personal kind of autonomy within this construct of what it means to be a woman and 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 a woman in the in the home mm -hmm. uh and and i think that's my search <laughs> I mean, I, yeah i totally understand because also the conversation can become like very confusing in the sense that it's not necessarily the actual activity right sure. that is either it's problematic or not yeah it's kind of the the politics or whatever has attached to that um activity that makes it problematic but what i what i was thinking about also is just kind of how some of these activities although they gendered can also be like very meditative so women's work as a place to kind of sit down and like be with your own thoughts and really you know draw within yourself in a way yeah but even that is kind of romanticized isn't it well last is she ein usha a few minutes ago <laughs> like it's not, it's not that romantic <laughs> yeah, i mean and and it's also that but this ideal this ideal that we create of uh of these chores and of these mm -hmm. doings like even uh motherhood like um it's shunned upon when you are critical of mm -hmm. the realities of being a mother you mm -hmm. know the challenges of being a mother um and uh, that's why things like uh, postpartum uh, depression and uh, those kind of things are so um there's so much taboo around that yes. because of this ideal that's created like what a good wife should be like what a yes. good mother is supposed to be like and only a mother knows the challenges of having a little baby or a toddler mm -hmm. and as a, as a as a woman and a woman artist it's incredibly difficult to juggle a career as an artist mm. and a mother yeah and, and there's, a, there's a romanticism attached to that you know mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> so, talking about kind of um motherhood and uh, um and some of the activities um that you kind of have to have to do. Um 
I was, I'm quite interested in three objects. I've picked three. I know there are more, but these feel a little bit more recent, I think, um, because I think your earlier work included um, much more than this. But um, there's the broom, the peg, yeah. and then obviously we've spoken about the iron a little bit. So if you could maybe just expand on those. Sure. I think each one of them are... Um have a particular uh, symbolism. Mm. Uh, they are obviously all metaphoric, but I'm attracted to them just by virtue of the fact that they are so genderized. Mm. Um, the iron for me is, uh, I love the shape of the iron because it's so triangular, mm -hmm. but also that it's this very strong object. It's a heavy object. Mm. Right now I'm working with ironing bases. I recently bought three tons of ironing bases. Oh my God. It's, it's a skip. Uh, you know what a skip is? That big dustbin yeah. thing that they put. Uh, it's a big container. Okay. That, that uh, where all the dustbins are emptied into. Mm -hmm. I bought this full of ironing bases. Oh my God. <laughs> so so when you, say you mean like those, the actual kind of metal parts of the iron? Correct. Three tons. Three tons. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But the but the the iron also like if you think about what an iron does, it smooths out the creases, right? Mm -hmm. It makes things everything. It makes everything presentable. It makes it nice. Mm -hmm. um, and and this is what we do as women, right? Mm -hmm. We fix we fix everything. What does a peg do? A peg holds things together. Mm -hmm. It's, it's it's the it's the gel, it's the, mm -hmm. the adhesive that holds the family together, mm -hmm. right? Room is what? It's to keep it clean. We sweep things under the carpet. We, uh, you know, and it's all about the surface kind of uh, presentation. Mm -hmm. And and what's what's underneath all of that? What's what's behind all of that? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's I suppose what I'm. Uh, interesting question. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's very interesting because I saw I think maybe it was 2018 or was it 2017 where the iron became a bull, right? Yes. Had, that was so interesting to me because up until the point where you actually said it, I wouldn't have made that connection. Just kind of using the shape of the iron, I think with some um, hangers, was it to kind of. Um, represent this herd of bulls which kind of feels a little bit um different in a way because like you're saying when you think about the iron you think about like smoothing out the creases whereas with the bull you're thinking very aggressive um as a symbol um so actually they were not bull. it wasn't a bull it was a cow okay and oh so it was feet yes okay <laughs> and uh, the work is a particular reference to Picasso's bull's head. So that's also where the title came from. So Picasso made an artwork in uh, his early stages of uh, assemblage, I think it's called, hmm. where he put together a bicycle a seat and a bicycle handlebar hmm. and made a work called Bull's Head. And I uh, was working with irons and hangers at the time and it was lying together on the floor and I saw a reference to his work and I purposely called it cow's head mm. because for me, the, firstly, the genderization of these objects, but 
but also that Picasso represents this uh, patriarchal position in art history. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Eurocentric, he's male, and there's this bull. I mean, this bull, like you say, is aggressive and <laughs> full of testosterone and, <laughs> and raging. And a, and a cow by nature is very passive and cow gives us milk. Mm-hmm. It's nurturing. It's mother-like. In, uh, in India, uh, the cow is very sacred. In South Africa, uh, cows are, um, uh, through Lebola have monetary value. Mm-hmm. So the cow starts representing all kinds of other things in the, in the context of being female and woman. Mm-hmm. And so these two objects together, as a cow, uh, take on a different kind of significance. And then in two, uh, so I made that work in 2012. I made one cow, mm-hmm. cow's head rather. Mm-hmm. And then in uh, 2018, I, uh, at the Cape Town Art Fair, made a herd of cow's heads. Yeah. Yes, I made a whole lot. And then that also speaks to something else because then it's about the collective mm. and, uh, and the collective voice, I suppose. Mm. I mean, so many things are going through my mind right now. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try and keep it down a bit. <laughs> but on the one hand, what's also interesting to me is the fact that um, you don't necessarily shy away or reject these readings, right? So one would also kind of expect that when you are resisting something, you would kind of move away from it. But it kind of feels like you are pulling towards these readings of like the cow is female versus a bull which is male um and iron being very domestic and then linking it back to you know the female cow um so it's not like you necessarily i don't know if that's an incorrect reading but maybe you could take us through that like this idea of kind of resistance versus refusal versus you know conflating the definitions versus actually using them as they are or yeah I think my uh, process has uh, is becoming more and more uh, intuitive, mm. or, or I'm uh, I'm learning to embrace the intuitive in my process, and so there might be one kind of uh, uh, a leaning towards a particular uh, conceptual understanding of the work that is in my head, right? Mm. But as you work with it and as you work through it you start understanding the, the limitations of the material on a physical level, but also the, the, um, the reading of it, the symbolism of it, the, the, the broader meaning of it. And then also as it gets exhibited and seen by other people uh, through walkabouts, through other people writing about it, they start bringing other readings to the work. Often, uh, uh, sometimes not even my intention or something I never considered. For example, you said to me uh, in our email, you yeah. spoke about art as labor and labor as art. Mm. And I just love the play on words on yeah. that. And it's there in my work. It's been there all along, but I've never thought about constructing it in that way. Yeah. And I get very excited about different kinds of readings because it just expands the the work for me more. Some be, Some artists take offense to it because... They feel like the, their intention is negated. For me, I, I, I respond completely differently to it. I get very excited by different readings because I think 
that is the power of art also, is that it brings your individual um, context mm. to the reading of the work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that you said that because I think that's something that I personally struggle with, um, just kind of this fear <laughs> that you're going to see something in someone's work and actually like speak publicly about it and the person comes back and be like, I never, I never meant that, you know. Um, but I guess that is part of why we have conversations because one builds on, on another and then it stretches it or, you know, um, I think it's a real problem if something is created and it exists in the same way, even 10, 20, 30 years, you know, without kind also, of... I think it's like you speak about fear of reading work and understanding work. I mm-hmm. think particularly in South Africa, because we have such a small art literate in the formal sense, public, yeah. there is so much fear around um, being stupid. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, I was speak. I was uh, speaking to, to some people around increasing the art market in South Africa. Mm. There are so many people with money in South Africa who don't buy art, mm. and they are uh, experts in their own industry. Mm-hmm. But when they enter a gallery, they feel so inadequate mm. because their own position is not valued. They mm. feel like they have to have an academic. Uh, language to to engage the work, but also just their response to the work is not something that they they value because it's perceived as ignorant, mm. and, and that's why this differing views is so important because mm-hmm. the 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 average Joe or or even a child for that matter mm. has a perspective on the work. Everybody. Even if that is, I don't like it. Exactly. But that is valuable. The fact that you don't like it means you're responding to the work. And that's, there's no wrong or right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, for me also, it does come down to the question of like um, how much power we give to voices. So the more voices you have, the more disagreements you have, and the more normal it will be, right? But if you have only a few voices kind of leading the conversation, then there is more pressure to kind of say, oh, this is how we speak about art, or this is how we show art, or... Um, And I guess also that's one of the things that really excites me about your work because, I mean, um, part of it does have this kind of um, abstraction to it in the sense that once the pegs are put together or the brooms are kind of stacked on top of each other, then at that point there could be anything, right? Which is really interesting because then it opens up the conversation. Um, And I wanted to know what your relationship to abstraction is um, and kind of what your thoughts are on that. So uh, I find um, working with abstraction both liberating and quite challenging because uh, liberating in the sense that it's an opportunity to really push the the formal elements of the work mm-hmm. so you you're working with composition you're working with shape and form and color and mm-hmm. space uh, and so it it really is that opportunity opportunity to play with those elements but that's also the challenge is that uh, in some ways, uh, illustrative work or um, literal work is quite easy mm-hmm. because it's so on the surface. But devoid of that, um, 
you have to you have to know your stuff. <laughs> it may seem like it's easier to to work in abstraction, but I think it's more challenging. Mm. Uh, it's an exciting, it's- yeah, it's exciting to work with it, but um, it takes a lot of uh, experimenting and playing to get it right. I don't mm. know if I've got it right as yet, but I'm definitely enjoying yeah. uh, working in this kind of mode. Mm. I mean, I'm quite interested um you said earlier that you're doing a lot of research right now um is any of it related to kind of the formal aspects of art or are you just kind of reading what are you reading <laughs> more history oh my god I'm reading <laughs> <laughs> so i'm reading a lot around feminist uh feminist theories around yes. black lives matter mm. uh, uh, around uh, colonial and post-colonialism Mm-hmm. But I'm also reading extensively around um, social practice. Okay. So in my career as an artist, I have uh, straddled several strands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's been like gallery work mm-hmm. um, or what I call gallery work. There's been public art, which has mostly been uh, commissioned work. Yeah. Uh, and then there's been what I didn't have a name for before, which I called community-based work or social development work. And I've come across uh, social practice as a movement in mm-hmm. art. And I'm so excited by this because it brings together all these things that I've done separately and understood separately into one cohesive thing. And I've always struggled with where uh, to go <laughs> because I love all all these three aspects together and mm-hmm. uh, and and I've been active in all these uh, different parts but suddenly now it makes sense to me to to actively and purposefully and consciously bring them together because I understand mm-hmm. the dynamics of each and I, fi- I find myself fitting in this uh, the, uh, this positioning as an artist mm-hmm. in a very strong way so although I've done a lot of uh, socially engaged work, now that I have a name for it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> now I understand that uh, uh, by definition, it is also a critical space. Uh, it's an activist space. So it has a development at its core, uh, but also uh, activism. And so now I'm thinking very much about my own practice uh, moving in that direction or mm-hmm. embracing that direction. Mm. So that's what I'm reading. <laughs> it's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have two questions related to that because on the one hand, um, one could think of like, if you think about subjectivity and artists making from their own kind of place of, you know, subjectivity, um, for better or for worse, it it kind of means that artists of color are always going to kind of inherently be engaging what they see and what they experience around them, right? So there is also this kind of notion that, um, I don't know whether it's right or not. I mean, I'm also just trying to articulate this and think through it at the same time. But the fact that like 
is all art inherently activism or geared that way? Or is there delineation and where does that happen? Um, and just because of your positionality as a certain body within this exploitative world, um, existing in a certain way, you know, how does your art kind of straddle those different ways? Um, and so I'm interested to see that you actually, it seems like you make a distinction, right? To say like, here's my gallery work, here's my activism, here's my social practice. Maybe you could talk about <laughs> And the reason I've seen them as separate is because the audiences for each is so separate. Yeah. The, the people that you work with are so separate. So uh, a community project where you're making a mural, the people that you work with are ne not necessarily going to go to the gallery. And the conversation, the la even the language that you use is very different. So uh, a corporate that I may be working with for a commissioned public sculpture you use the word installation and they think of electrical installations, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so each of, these, <laughs> each of these worlds are so different. Mm. Uh, the, um, you know, uh, you talk of work mm. as in artwork and they think of work as in Sabenza, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so you can understand that the dynamics of each are so different, which is why... Uh, I, I've treated them so differently mm -hmm. in my head. Mm. Um, uh, but I think also it would be so much easier just to make pictures of cats, like paintings of cats. <laughs> that <would be> so <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> but as artists, yeah. I suppose, and as artists of color and as, uh, as a female artist, I suppose it's a choice one makes as to how, how, to what level you want to engage critically, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I think in my work, I've been, um, it's always been there, but maybe it's been more subtle, mm -hmm. uh, which sometimes is more powerful. Mm -hmm. I'm finding, I don't know if it's a thing of being in one's 40s or what, I'm finding that I'm becoming much and much more outspoken and more critical, mm -hmm. and that will definitely filter into my work. Yeah. But I do believe very strongly that one should be honest and authentic. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't be a case of that you have to uh, make activist work mm -hmm. because that is the norm or that is the expectation. Mm -hmm. I think it must come from a real place of uh, wanting to make a statement or yeah. wanting to to point out the hypocrisy or... You know, um, a few uh, weeks ago, recently, when the president uh, made his address on TV and he um, described having two pandemics and he um, acknowledged the prevalence of gender-based violence in our country, it, um, it, it hit me in my gut, yeah. you know. I was emotional listening to him. I, I couldn't sleep for three nights uh, or whatever, you know. So it, it, I had a visceral response to that. Mm -hmm. And so I know that I have to work with this in my work. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and my work treads on that by virtue of its thematic. But I, I now personally feel like I want to take my work to a, another level that, uh, that engages the scourge in our country. Yeah. So if it's coming from that place, then it makes sense. Yeah. But if it's coming from a space of um, having 
like wanting to be topical or mm. wanting to get attention, then it isn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, I I that answers your question. No, it does. Yeah. This idea of kind of authenticity and honesty and the work coming from that place is, is very important because one of the things that worries me as well is the fact that um, the art market can also trade on black pain and, you know, commodify that and, and use that. Um, but then at the same time, the dissonance also is too much to bear sometimes. I remember um, reading about a young artist who was saying, they feel conflicted because they'll be drawing kind of um, flowers or painting flowers. And then people are like, well, the, you know, the village is burning and you out here. <laughs> painting. <Where's your> paint, <laughs> man? <laughs> yeah. And she, yeah. They were like, well, where's your bucket of water, you know, to, to keep this fire out. So it's all very complex, but I think that personally I've come around quite a lot to just kind of, get to a point where I understand that it's personal for everyone. You know, some people are at a place where their voice is strong enough to actually be able to engage these issues. And then some people, they really just have to kind of look at painting flowers because that means that they're able to wake up in the morning and do it again tomorrow and the next day, you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's very complicated. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also where you're at and where... Mm -hmm. Uh, how how big you 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 want your voice to be, mm -hmm. and it's okay to paint flowers. Mm -hmm. I mean, if yes, that's what yeah. you want to do, and that's what makes you happy, then exactly <laughs> do that. <It's> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> talking about um, painting flowers. Let's maybe go back to um, some of the references you made earlier with regards to art history. Uh, so I'm yes. interested in terms of like who are. I know we spoke about this question. <laughs> Oh, don't uh, ask me that. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you who inspires you. <laughs> I want to ask you, who are you thinking with, you know, in terms of artists? Who are you kind of either thinking with or thinking against or who are you engaging? <laughs> so recently, uh, based on my readings around uh, social practice and socially engaged work, I've been listening to... Uh, Tanya Brugheria mm -hmm. uh, uh, and another American artist, Rick Lowe. I've been uh, watching a lot of his talks and reading about his work and both are uh, in different ways uh, social practitioners and I mm -hmm. just heard recently that Tanya Brugheria who's been quite uh, politically outspoken, she's been kidnapped. Uh, oh my gosh. Yes, uh, and I was uh, planning to to contact her and and uh, speak about how to um, how to build this movement in South Africa because it's there already, but it doesn't have a name here in South Africa uh, because lots of people are working in this kind of mode already. And I I heard uh, recently that she's been kidnapped. I don't know the details of it or what's happening. But Oh, wow. That's who I've been following. <laughs> That's intense. Um, yeah. So there's no kind of information as to who, there was one very vague. There was one very vague article that did, didn't give a lot of details. Uh, mm. She's it's, been quite critical of uh, the Cuban government and so on. So I see. Mm. I don't know the details about yeah. it. 
That is intense. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I wanted to ask you is in relation to your project, uh, the, resu- the resurrection of the clothes peg. Um, which is the work. So I was a little bit confused as to whether this work is currently being made for the next Burning Man. It would have been this year, but obviously because of the pandemic, it's now being pushed. Can you maybe just tell us a little bit about that project? So the work was meant to show on this year's Burning Man, meaning Mm -hmm. 2020. And then because of uh, lockdown around the world, Burning Man 2020 is not happening physically. So uh, I was fortunate to be one of the honoraria artists, which means it's like uh, like on the main program and you get some kind of financial support from from Burning Man. So all the honoraria artists will show next year. Okay. For this year. So the work is currently in production. We also had to halt production because we weren't able to get all the materials we needed and so on. Um, so in one way, it's quite good in that we have more time. Yeah. Excuse me. The work is hugely ambitious. <laughs> it's I the biggest the thing. I've, I was like, oh, it will be the biggest <laughs> thing I've ever made. Uh, oh I have. I have a team of... Uh, people working with me, architects and engineers and fabricators. Um, and the work is 14 meters, I think, or 13 to 14 meters high and weighs 13 tons. <laughs> it's massive. And it's made from, it's made from huge steel pipes. Uh, uh, and it, it, the image, I don't know if this webinar is going to uh, be a visual thing or an uh, audio podcast, but maybe we can intersperse it with images. Yeah. Um, it is a half a peg, uh, kind of lying a bit slanted. Mm. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you briefly about the concept, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the brief was around the theme of uh, they use the word pataphysical in the brief. And the meaning of the word pataphysical is uh, the, like a, a solution to an impossible problem or an impossible solution to a problem, like something that you, you, you can't fix it. Mm-hmm. And so because I've been working with pegs as a metaphor, uh, and, and remember I said the 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 function of the peg is to hold together. And I thought, well, what if we take that function away? What if we make it half a peg? What's the point of half a peg? It's quite useless, isn't it? Mm. It can't do anything. Already we rob the object of its function when we turn it into an artwork, right? Mm. Already that, that's an old debate already. Yeah. So now I'm stripping its function further and I'm magnifying it, <laughs> making it yeah. 12, 13 meters high, right? Uh, so, so that was my response to the work. Uh, also, this I will be the first artist from Africa to show at Burning Man, Nevada. And um, the fact that I'm a female artist, I think, is, is so relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I called it the resurrection of the clothes peg because it is a kind of uh, 
like a resurrection of the female and the African voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's time to listen to that voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's so <laughs> because also, I mean, on the one hand, you have, like you're saying, taking away the function, but making it bigger. So then there's also questions of kind of visibility, you know, and like how much it weighs as well. That That's also yes. kind of this weightage, you know. Um, we can have a conversation around that. But one thing that I was quite interested in is um, when we were talking about space and reflecting on where this work is going to be shown, particularly with all the things that you're thinking around um, regarding Black Lives Matter, you know, America as an entity. Um, yeah. So remember that this opportunity started already last year. Mm, mm-hmm. This is before the virus, before yes. George Floyd. It's before all of that. But now that we are where we are in the world, I think that this work is so important mm-hmm. because it is the voice of the marginal. Mm-hmm. It is the voice of the neglected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you can't not see it because it's so big. Mm-hmm. You have to confront it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's why this work is so, so important. It's also because the work is made with pipes, essentially it's made with negative space. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, the ho- it's the circles, the holes that make up the shape. Oh, right? See. So it's like, it's like making a form out of out of negative space. And I think just the the layers of reading into that are particularly powerful right now for me. That is so beautiful. (laughs) This idea (laughs) of kind of capturing that emptiness, right? That life. Yeah. And building form with that. Mm -hmm. So there's all these, um, there's there's these voices that have been silenced. Mm. There's this, uh, power that lies latent mm-hmm. and it's time for us the the form is made through its collectivity mm-hmm. so collectively when we come together the that's where the power is right mm-hmm. i mean the the black lives matter is getting so much attention because of this collective power i mean as south africans we know this mm-hmm. yeah we are acutely aware of that you just spoke about um latent power and it kind of also feels like this is something that you return to um quite quite a lot (laughs) there's a title of my previous work called latent power (laughs) Uh, i think it was in transgressing power that that exhibition talking about that exhibition actually um can you talk to me about the the figure of the witch if it means anything to you Sure, absolutely. Uh, so I read an article that was uh, published in The Guardian, and mm. this two or three lines, this little p- paragraph really spoke to me, uh, where the author said that when women transgress sexuality, they are labeled as whores, and when women transgress power, they are labeled as witches. Mm. And and uh, again, this thing whacked me. <laughs> it was like this jolt mm-hmm. because I just thought about women and power and how 
when women um, become powerful in a patriarchal world, that uh, that power is not um, it's not even about acknowledging or valuing. It's that it's uh, you have to find an excuse for it. It can't be real. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I just I love the idea of a witch, not in a uh, not in a witchcraft kind of way, mm. but in a way of uh, of magic, mm-hmm. of harnessing power, of owning power, mm. and that's where the perspective of the witch comes from. So I played with that in that show quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I made one work called Magic Stick, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, 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 cut up brooms that are joined together again just to form a simple stick yeah. um, I referenced a poem I can't remember the author now called uh, She Sleeps Naked where I oh, uh, back to me now <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I inscribed a text onto the surfaces the surface of several brooms by burning text mm-hmm. into it and in the poem uh, she um, she describes these different qualities of witches. Mm. And one of them is that uh, she sleeps naked. Another one is that her, her breasts are pointed instead of round. Yes. Uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> she makes glue out of bones, I think. Mm. But just, if, you know, the, there's a lot of stigma attached to, um, and in South Africa in particular, uh, around witchcraft. Mm-hmm. But where does that come from? It's uh, where uh, when women uh, start owning a sense of power, then you have to be a witch. Mm. Yeah, because uh, it's, it's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not or, or the other way around. When something goes wrong, then you need somebody to blame, and she has to be doing something mm. because this. A scenario is un, uh, unexplainable. Mm-hmm. So she becomes the scapegoat as well. Yeah, yeah. like there's not, in people's imaginaries, there's, there isn't kind of this understanding of women as powerful and competent and, you know, able to get what they want. So the minute you are that, um, you like too aggressive or too loud or <laughs> too hard-headed or all of these, all of these questions. Um, but also I'm quite, I'm quite um, seduced by the idea of uh, the process of art making as a magical one. Yeah. You know, something, there's a, there's a kind of alchemy mm-hmm. uh, that happens when you when you take an iron and a hanger and and make it into a cow's head, right? Yes, yeah. So this was going to be my next question to you um, in relation to taking a simple object, um, quote unquote, an ordinary object, and something has to happen to it that then makes it an artwork, right? That's able to do all of these other things. Um, and just kind of reading um, how different people have spoken about your work, there is this notion of kind of a ritual that takes an iron from being an iron to something more powerful. So maybe you could speak to us about this this notion of kind of ritual and ritual making in, in your process. Um, so I think the word like ritual is a bit dangerous. Mm-hmm. Because there's a 
there's a kind of complacency mm. uh, in ritual where uh, the critical um, eye is a bit lost, right? So, so while as an artist you get used to your way of working, but I think that's dangerous. So mm-hmm. more, uh, recently, more and more, I've become aware of uh, like getting into a pattern, a pattern of process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, for example, I made uh, I made a series of works using um, serving trays with uh, issues around service and servitude, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, which has various readings, right, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And I made one or two where I uh, understood the language of the material and and how to manipulate it and how to work with it. And then I made eight more, (laughs) (laughs) right? Uh, But I, I stopped looking. I stopped thinking about the form because I got into the ritual of it. Mm-hmm. Right, and after they were done, uh, I showed them to a friend of mine, and she said, "You know, bring them to me so we can just look at them." And then she said, "You know, I think this one and this one and this one are successful, and I think these are not." Uh, and and I and I understood immediately why they were not. Yeah, because uh, because I got into a complacent kind of making. Mm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think. Uh, uh, like unless that ritual, because a ritual is about doing without thinking, isn't it? It's yeah. about a, a habit. Yeah, that's process. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and my process, I realized, has to do with um, like a struggle almost. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. I told you I got all these irons, right? Yes. And since February, I've been <laughs> since February, I've been playing with these forms, trying to make meaning of them and finding the right kind of configuration and the right form. Mm-hmm. And and this morning I had a conversation with my daughter because she did a math sum that took her over an hour and it was a simple mat sum. And then she said, but it took so long. It took so long. And I said, but yeah. you got the answer in the end and you got it without consulting anybody else. And you got it on your own. The fact that it took you an hour was your struggle. Mm-hmm. So I was narrating to her my experience with these eyes that since February, I've been playing with them. And I think I've tried like about 40 different things mm-hmm. with them. And some of them have been partly successful. Some need to be developed a bit more. But earlier this week, there was a, I had a major breakthrough because I know what to do with them now, <laughs> right? So it was very exciting because suddenly there was a click. There, the light bulb went on. Like I was like, yes. But when I think about it, what I'm doing with them now is what I had done, what was the very first thing that I had done. And so I've, I've understood that my process is almost to go so far away. <laughs> think so complex and so yeah. like, and then come back to the obvious, to the to the most simple thing. And the strength of my work, which I've been told over and over again, is when the when the 
the idea is so simple. Yeah. The, uh, the form is so simple. And I, I know this intellectually, but mm -hmm. I almost have to make it difficult first, Before struggle you. with it there, yeah. and then come back. I mean, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I love that you so said that's that. That's my ritual. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like this quite literally labor, right? Yes. <laughs> You're pulling the irons with you for however many kilometers only to bring them back to point A. But I think people can tell, right, where, when you just decide on an idea and you're like, okay, this is it, versus when it's simple, but it's simple because you've thought of different possibilities um, mm -hmm. and kind of decided that, like, no, this actually works. Um yeah, so I guess it kind of goes back to that idea also of like laboring through through these ideas. Um, it's also, you, you know, uh, there's that thing of Picasso where uh, he was in his 90s or something and he mm. had an exhibition and his uh, paintings were quite naive. Yeah. Do you know the story? And there was, a, a, there was a, a man with his grandchild who were looking at his work and then this man said, my my six-year-old grandchild can paint like this. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he said, yes, but it's taken me 90 years to learn to paint like this. Yeah. So, it's, <laughs> so it is like a kind of simplifying, simplifying, unlearning mm -hmm. uh, and getting to the, like the core of it, like getting rid of all the noise mm -hmm. uh, to, to really uh, whittle it down to its essence. Mm. Mm. I mean, that's very interesting because um, on the one hand, you kind of expect that to be easy and it goes back to this idea of what you're saying, like complacency. So the easiest mm. thing to do would just be to take the first idea that comes through. But I think the work would embody a different spirit then. Like maybe it would Absolutely. still look the same, but it would, you know. Yeah, and I think the the viewer gets the sense of that. I do believe that the work is imbued with the energy of its process, mm -hmm. and the, you know, um, and I, I'm always amazed at how people read into the work that which is not obvious. Mm. Um, so it's there. Yeah, it's there. Also, as you work as an artist, you start. Um, uh, being critical, yes, of your own work, of others' work, mm -hmm. but also you develop a, a, a sense of um, of what works, mm -hmm. and you know when it's working and when it's mm -hmm. not working. And that's why, when I had this breakthrough, it was like I, I can I can feel, <laughs> and all this time I was like, okay, it's there, maybe it's there, maybe it's not. But when when it when it, when you know it, you just know it. Right. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's it's such a distinctive. Uh, moment mm. it's a distinctive feeling mm -hmm. yeah okay so um almost in closing i'm gonna ask you let's say let's keep it to three questions yes. um and i want you to maybe tell us um some of the things that are giving you joy right now um mm -hmm. it can be in work or outside of work um mm -hmm. and then maybe some of the things that you are thinking about and reflecting on that you're kind of struggling with in that sense um and some of the things that are maybe that are making you fearful what you are what you're fearing right now and maybe let's start with that one so that we end with joy and then it can be okay 
ending on a high note. What am I fearful of? Mm. By nature, I'm not really a fearful person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, I find fear quite a useless emotion mm. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> I'm fearful all the time, so I don't relate. <laughs> What is there to be afraid of, really? You know, there is the unknown, but then it's unknown. Just embrace that. <laughs> yes. So I'm not, yeah, I mean, I'm not uh, really fearful. I'm aware of uh, levels of uncertainty. And uh, I mean, for the first time in, in lockdown, uh, like by nature, I'm quite optimistic and I'm quite uh, positive. But I went through a, a whole roller coaster of emotions, yeah. um, and and surprised even myself. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's a level of intensity that uh, that we as a as a species mm-hmm. have not experienced before. Uh, so it I, I surprised even myself because there were all these things that I started feeling that. Mm-hmm that I uh, have never felt to that level of intensity. I don't know if that's fear, maybe, Um, but I I can't answer that question. I'm not particularly (laughs) afraid of anything. You have answered. (laughs) This is the weight of uncertainty, right? Or maybe it's not fear, maybe it's like a level of discomfort. Yes, yeah. and and even anxiety. I think anxiety yeah. is more more than discomfort. There's definitely a mm-hmm. lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and what you are struggling with? What you thinking about? Um, I'm challenged by my own um, direction forward. I've been questioning uh, the relevance of what I do, the impact of of what I do, like, does it really matter? You know, Um, does it make a difference? Mm. Uh, And that I I want to make a difference. I want to have a bigger voice. Mm. Uh, And how how is it that I do that in in the way that I know how to do, that is within my means to do? Um, So I've been thinking a lot about that. Mm. Um, Yeah. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah. Sure. And, uh, yeah. Though it's very big questions. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, it, uh, but, there's a, but it's real and there's a lot of sleepless nights about it because, um, yeah, otherwise, what's the point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff, right? That's, that's intense. That's very scary. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that space. But without fear, without fear. Yeah, it's, it's, the feeling around it is uh, is one of um, really a desire for more, mm. a, a desire to be more and to and to give more, mm. and not in a philanthropic kind of way, in a in a, I mean, dare I say, in a in a changing way, in a in a way that instigates change. Mm. In a way that um, uh, that makes one question. Yeah, just kind of that idea of also knowing that you've fully given it your all. 
right? Whatever it is that you're doing. Um, I can't remember who said this, but um, there's a quote uh, that goes, I want to be all used up when I die. And for me, like that sounds so powerful because it means, yeah, literally you gave everything to be able yeah. to do these things. That And there's so much to give. Exactly. And, I, and I'm aware of that. I have much more to give than I'm giving right now. It's amazing. Right? It feels like I'm playing. <laughs> no, really, it feels like I'm playing such a small game. You know, it feels like there's so much more to, to do and to give. And, and I, I have this huge willingness and this huge desire to do that. I don't know how, and I'm okay with that. Just the very fact that I know I want to, I know I will. Yes. I mean, that excites me because, like I said, your work is incredible and really inspiring and beautiful. And so to hear you say that, like, like I have more to give. No, I'm <laughs> playing very small right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that resurrected peg is nothing, is what you say. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow I'll feel different, but right now, that's a good <laughs> Yeah, like 14 meters, 13 tons. That's not enough. It's <laughs> not enough. Thanks again for joining us. Check out our Instagram at Smack Gallery as well as Usha Sijirim at Usha Sijirim to stay updated with our upcoming projects and exhibitions.